on that note, it's my joy to invite you this morning, because we're about to have our time in God's Word, to open up your copy of God's perfect and precious Word to the book of Titus as we begin our Christmas series. And I know some of you may be thinking, Christmas series, Titus? Didn't you mean to say Luke or, or, or the beginning of Matthew or maybe the first chapter of John or maybe one of these uh, great uh, uh, December-quoted passages in Isaiah? Titus. Titus chapter 2. The series title is called uh, Christmas Clarity. And one thing that's exciting that's happening today is that there's actually four service times where uh, we're going to be in the, the, the book of Titus and Titus 2, verse 11, beginning this series. Oldham County, this service we're in right now, the 1030 service, and then late this evening in Spanish will also be in Titus 2.11. Four different uh, preachers. Adam's preaching at 10.30, uh, Dr. Adam York, uh, Pastor Casey, myself, and then William Sanchez. So you can be praying for our church family as we're all thinking through uh, this text together. When you find he- uh, Hebrews uh, Titus 2.11, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's perfect Word. We're going to be only in verse 11 today, but I want to start off by reading 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, ask You today to just amaze us again with Your grace. Fill our hearts with with thanks and our our mouths with praise and use us to display your glory. Use us so that more people will know your grace and experience your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's December and I know that that means for many of you that you are watching things that you may uh, not watch at other times of the year. I'm talking about Christmas movies. Christmas stories, I have to confess, if you consider this a confession. I've already seen three myself. Um, uh, There's a whole category of these uh, that have uh, some some common themes. And one of those, you have the, the Ebenezer Scrooge, or the Grinch, or in some kind of a, of a spin-off of those tales, you have this one person who just doesn't seem to get it. And somewhere along the plot line of the movie, or if you're reading it, the plot line of the book, you have some epiphany moment, and then finally this person understands better than even all the others, or, or, or is into it in, all, in, in a stronger way than almost anybody else. Now, as we are here um, this morning talking as the beginning of the Christmas series, 
We need to note two differences, of course, between that and our situation. First, the it, especially in the more uh, modern, maybe cheesy spin-offs of the of the Grinch tale, the it is just some kind of a, of a vague mood, ethereal Christmasness. Nothing really specific whatsoever. And that's not at all what we have. We have a real God who has done something specific for us. Something substantial for us. We have the sending of His only begotten Son to die for us on the cross to bring salvation for all people. This is the Gospel. It's clear. It's substantial. It's real. A real God is part of our real personal life story, our Creator who made us and made all that we have seen has has loved us in this way. It's not just some kind of mood that's more... I mean, what you experience in those stories is really more akin to the flavor of peppermint than it is the Gospel. We have something that's real. A real life event. The other thing that we should note is that in these stories, you know, there's this... There's the one outlier. There's the Grinch. And then there's Whoville. And so the general society gets it. Everybody understands what Christmas is all about. Except for the Grinch. Or except for Scrooge. Is that our situation? If it ever was, if it ever was, it certainly is not now, last, uh, last week I was talking with our college students. We were talking about the college campus. We were in Psalm 100. Uh, and we just started talking about psychology or philosophy class or ethics or gender studies or you just keep on going and going and going. And wouldn't it be great if we could just call the entire university campus together, and let's just kind of understand this verse from Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, He is God. He made us. We are His. If that could happen, it would be like the lights get turned on in philosophy and in ethics and just go across the board. All of a sudden, things make sense. It's clear. It's it, there's an anchor, there's an understanding. But that's not the, the, the general understanding of the world in which we live. The world doesn't get the incarnation that God sent His only Son and that we are sinners who need someone who can save us from our sins. Like That's not the understanding we are in. We don't have a situation where there's a Grinch and there's Whoville. There are who's among Grinchville. And it's not that, that we're at all better as Christians. It's not that we are better. It's that we've received this wonderful, glorious salvation grace of God. A grace that has saved us and that we want to share that with everyone. We want that to be known. We want to have God's salvation put on display. 
Paul gets at this and he's writing to the, the Philippians. And he, he's talking about what Jesus did as Jesus, um, as he humbled himself and he went to the cross on our behalf. And then he gets to this point and he says this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is a season of lights. We have lights in the room, lights on our trees, lights on the reefs behind you. Uh, There are lights around all across the city. There's some people who really enjoy their lights in this city. Right? There's, uh, I'm sure that Kentucky Utilities notices the presence of lights at this time of year. And it's fitting. It's fitting because, as John writes in his uh, Gospel, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Or you see uh, later on that, that same Gospel, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And then you hear Jesus elsewhere saying to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Is that a contradiction? Obviously, no. We're in, the Bible, we're in a church that requires that everybody believe that the Bible is inerrant. We don't believe the Bible ever contradicts itself. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Because we're connected to Jesus and the salvation work of God is meant to be on display in our lives. In a world that needs to see it. And that's true of Lexington and that's true of Crete. As we come to Titus We're coming to a a, a book in which the setting is this island called Crete. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean. A nice place. South of, I say a nice place. Climate, probably beautiful. Beaches, wonderful setting. Not a nice place in its day. Right? This was, it's just right there in the middle. And and there's, it had, okay. In the pagan Roman world, Greco-Roman world, it had a reputation. And not a good one. One of the words that you could use in Greek to say that somebody lied is kretizo. They crete spoke. They lied. That's, that's, that's the kind of reputation that Crete had. It's, there were cities in it that were violent. There were places of sexual perversion. It was a problematic place. And the challenge is that it's not... a it, 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 okay, it's, you could say it's godless in that sense like we understand, but actually they, they actually had a, had a deity that they were big fans of, Zeus. They believed that Zeus was born on the island of Crete. And if you know the stories of Zeus, you know that they're stories of, of a trickster who is deceptive and has multiple affairs with multiple of women. It, it, he's not a model character. And they were a fan of him. And so the problem is, this problem is, have actually come into the church, and that's why Paul has Titus there. Um, here are some of the things that uh, we hear about what's happening in the churches. It says, there are many, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 10, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they're upsetting 
whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this testimony is true. Shocking. You know, what he's saying is like, this is what actually is what is going on here. And that's why we need to have elders and we need to have lives that are, are, are showing the, the truth of God. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then he says, but as for you, and he starts to talk about the church, and he talks about older men, older men being sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled, and younger men being self-controlled, older women are to be reverent and not slanderers, but teachers and trainers of what is good to younger women who are uh, to love their wives and children, that the life within, the, just the daily life of the church should be a display of the saving work of God. And, and Titus is especially you know, fit for this. You just, you've got people of the circumcision party, and here's Titus, a Greek who has been Saved by Jesus Christ. He's not circumcised. We find that out in Galatians. He's a, he's a man who is, is faithful. We find out in Corinthians uh, the, how much good he did to that church. He's all, his name is throughout 2 Corinthians. And, and Paul trusts him and cares for him. He calls him my true child in the faith. And by that, many of us uh, believe that Titus was led to faith by under the ministry of Paul, probably in the second missionary journey. And then he also elsewhere calls him my brother. When he comes to a place called Troas, he says, I didn't find rest for my spirit because my, my brother Titus wasn't there. So he's both true child and brother, and he's here to put things in order. And this is about the, the message of Titus. After talking about Older men and younger men, uh, and older women and younger women, and even bond servants, uh, Paul says this so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This time of year, you have gifts that people are preparing, and the gift itself is good. The gift by itself is, is a great thing that you've put thought into. You're delighted to give to somebody. But then there's attention given to presentation. Bows or wrapping paper or such. Because the presentation should match the goodness of the gift. Or with food, you have a delicious homemade meal and the food itself is good. It doesn't, we may not say it doesn't need any kind of special presentation. And yet we do. We are careful with how we present the food and to put on display its goodness, even though it tastes good already. Likewise, our lives should display the goodness of the glory of God. He is good. He is great. His salvation is wonderful. That's what Titus is about. Which brings us to our verse today. Twelve words in English. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared. His grace is precious kindness towards us. His loyal love. 
Now it says it has appeared. But let no one among us think that it's new in the New Testament. None of this kind of the God of the Old Testament is like this and the God of the New Testament is like this. No! God has always been gracious that God's grace is present throughout the storyline of the Bible. 3,000 years before the birth of Jesus, God was full of grace. And 3,000 years later, 3,000 years from now, God will still be the God that's full of grace. His loving kindness is forever. Jesus Christ, we've been saying week after week this year, is the same yesterday and today and forever. So it's not that grace is new. In fact, if we go all the way back, we find that in the beginning God created the first man and the first woman. And that creation itself is an act of grace, especially when we realize that God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to be happened. And so in a very real sense, we didn't deserve to be created. And yet He does. He gives us life and breath and everything, as Paul points out later. And then there's the the, the first man, first woman. They sin and they rebel against God. And what do we find in response to this sin? Not that Adam and Eve go running after God in confession. Instead, we find the God who made them saying, Adam, where are you? And God initiates the interaction in which he ends up giving a, a clothing of, of animal skins for the first man and first woman, and in which the first promise we have of a, of a conqueror, a victor, is given. And then from that point on, I wish this morning that I could tell you that it was only a problem of sin in the first generation. I wish that was the case, but it's not. We find that as men fulfill the blessing that God has given them, we bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that instead what we find is as they're fruitful and they multiply and they fill the earth, they're fruitful with sin and multiply transgression and fill the earth with wrongdoing. And it happens generation after generation after generation. And yet, you have this other storyline of the Scripture, which is the faithfulness of God, which is steady and steadfast throughout the ages. And so you have this sin challenge, which neither a, neither a, a flood of destruction nor the sending of, ju- of human leaders in the forms of judges or kings, nor the establishment of a system in which there can be worship of God with a priest to represent the people, nor the establishment of prophets to speak to the people on behalf of God, nor the promises that are, are, are given, and given and protected in, in themselves, the law of God. None of those things are a solution that fixes the problem of sin. And yet, God's faithfulness to His promises are shown over and over and over again. We may not see the word grace in the Old Testament. Grace is a translation of the Greek charis. But we find this other word, hesed, which is Hebrew, that is translated most often loving kindness or steadfast love of God. Steadfast meaning despite us. And He's, he's protecting His promise. 
And He's delivering these promises. And despite childlessness and famine and war, just think of the days and the days of wrongdoing combining into months and then years and then decades and you have centuries of wrongdoing and yet God is faithful. Think about all the times that mankind is disappointing. There's a little kid's book um, that a pastor wrote um, that is uh, it's re- even compared to the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is just condensed. Like I read it to my kids in two sittings. And it just covers the, the storyline of Scripture. And it's frustrating. Because you're like, oh, people failed. You know, Solomon, yay, oh no. And then there's just so many moments like that. Where it's like, good point, oh, and then we fail. Good point, oh, and then we fail. And yet there's this other storyline just right alongside it. God's faithful, God's good, God sends the promises, God sends the Savior. It all builds up. All of that that I listed. The prophets, the kings, the, the, the priests, the system, all of that, the symbols of God's faithfulness from the rainbow to the cl- a pillar of cloud and pillar of fire saying God is with His people, all point ahead to a time where God is with His people, the birth of Jesus. The grace of God appears. As John says, the Word became flesh in a new sense. God, it, it, it is here. God's grace has always been in the, in the storyline of Scripture. God's presence has always been, in a sense, with His people throughout the storyline of Scripture. He gave the temple. He had all that. And now, God's presence is with His people. You have one whose name is Emmanuel. God with us. And the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. And to continue, to continue the verse, full of grace and truth. God's grace has appeared. Now, the role, think with me for just a second here. How is your role different? I'm talking, this is not just in the Bible, this is us. How is our role different than someone who lived a couple hundred years before the birth of Jesus? Their role was anticipation in faith. What, what do we get to do? The grace has already appeared. We get to proclaim and have faith. Now that's a little, that's a little oversimplified because back then they also proclaimed the goodness of God and the greatness of God. And we get to anticipate because we're looking forward to the return of Jesus. So everybody at all times gets to anticipate, proclaim, and believe. But we have a special emphasis on proclaim. Because something has happened. Jesus has been born and we get to share that message. So we get to share how God's grace, there always was, um, has arrived. And it says here that, that God's grace has appeared bringing salvation. That salvation has come. Now God was always the Savior, but salvation has come. The angels testify of this. Like the angel that visited Joseph in a dream and says about Mary that um, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call His name Jesus. And Jesus itself means God saves. The Lord is salvation. And then the angel even goes further to explain it. For He shall save His people 
from their sins. Salvation has, has been brought. Jesus' grace has come bringing salvation. Or the, the uh, passage, the Passion 8, quoted from at the beginning of our service, where the angel is speaking to the shepherds, this birth announcement in the fields, and the angel says this, says, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day a Savior. Salvation has come. Or Simeon, at the presentation of Jesus at the temple, this old man who grabs up the baby and says, My eyes have seen your salvation. That in bodily flesh, here is the salvation of God. So we're no longer defined by that storyline that I was talking about of failure and sin. And, and as, as Sydney sang this morning, Oh, come all you unfaithful. That fits our storyline. We fit into that storyline. We are the Grinches of Grinchville, but God has sent salvation. And we're no longer defined and our future is not set by that. Instead, God lifts us up from that. Says, the Bible says we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. We are put into the storyline of Jesus' forever kingdom. Salvation. We need to think, when you hear the word salvation, you need to think about something that is historic and real that God has done. God saved through Jesus Christ by sending His perfect Son. And you also need to think about personally in your life. You can say things like Paul says, He loved me and gave Himself for me. And we can expand that. It's faithful to the Bible to expand that to say, He loved me, He created me, sent His Son to be born for me. He was born for me, lived for me, and gave Himself for me. It's personal, part of my story. And as we think of salvation, we ought never to just think of it as something that has happened in our life. But it's something that's true of our life today. That our life, is we just live it out. And that's my... That, that's kind of the whole reason behind the, the thinking of, I say my, I didn't come up with it, Christmas Clarity. It's a beautiful sermon series title. Adam, Adam thought, thought of this. We thought, yes, this is great. Christmas Clarity. Because we need to have our minds you know, reset and see, see the glorious beauty of Christmas. This season... I'm not talking about the Christmas season. I'm talking about 2020 season. 2020 season needs the gospel. We always need the gospel. We need to reset our minds and say, hey, Jesus Christ was born for me, lived a perfect life for me, gave Himself for me. He loved me. Christmas clarity. And the world around us needs it. They need to see it in our lives. Christmas is always a special season of opportunity to share the gospel we've had for generations now uh, almost we've had people going to other parts of the world who may using christmas holiday like here's college students from america coming to share about how we celebrate christmas and in the process being able to share the good news of jesus we have people who are have special interest in if you say 
Don't ever say no for somebody. Think, oh, I don't think they'd be interested. If you invite somebody to, hey, we're, we're going to be singing outside on Christmas Eve. Not in Miami. We're singing this in Kentucky. Come sing with us. You'd be surprised. Just ask. If they say no, okay. Move on, ask somebody else. But my guess is lots of people would say yes. And they'll come and they'll hear, hear the gospel. Christmas gives us a special opportunity to share the gospel. And that we may find to be especially true in 2020. With everything that's going on, it causes people to lift their eyes from the daily routine and look for something that is more eternal. Let us be the people who puts on display Christmas clarity. And we talk about putting it on display to other people. Let's make sure to finish off verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I already mentioned the angels speaking to the shepherds. And here is there's the shepherds. They're not like the esteemed of society. They're not the ones who you would normally invite places. And yet, God chooses them to send the invitation. And the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And if we were reading that in Greek, we would see the, the word people there is this word last. And if I look it up in the commentaries, not that I'm like super Greek scholar guy, but they, they, uh, they say like, this means the whole spectrum of society. The rich and the poor. And this is being shared to the shepherds. Like everybody, the male, the female, the slave, the free, the rich, the poor, everybody in society. And then later in that very same chapter, we have what I already mentioned, Simeon, holding up the baby Jesus and saying, oh, my eyes have seen your salvation. And he continues to say that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. And that word is ethnos, that we get ethnicity from. It's all the tribes and tongues of the world. You put those together, you get the idea that we have here. All anthropos, like they're just people. All people. Everybody, everywhere, Jesus Christ is a Savior for all. There is no one. How does that work out? It works out because we see the the grace of God opening the eyes of people's hearts to understand the goodness of Jesus. And who are the people? They are people, the Bible is very clear, from every tribe and tongue and nation. And you have people who are former prostitutes who are worshiping Jesus forever in heaven now. You have people who, and we have names of those people in the, in the Gospels. You have people who were former tax collectors. You have people who were former elite uh, religious like Nicodemus. You, you've got all these names attached that we already know and, and just we see it. It's like nobody is outside the... Nobody's being overlooked at all in the kingdom of God. Nobody is being overlooked. And though the world may overlook displaced people in refugee camps, God doesn't. Though the world may overlook the quiet kid who doesn't say anything in the classroom, just kind of skates through without much attention, God doesn't. Listen, church family, let us be people who, like our Lord and Savior, don't overlook anybody. 
Let us have a mind frame as we pray, as we seek to see people come to faith in Jesus that includes everybody in Lexington, everybody, all nations, all tribes. Praise God that He has sent Jesus Christ a Savior for all. And we have an interest in all because God has an interest in all. We fit in as people who get to declare. And what joyous, we heard this morning about three, that even while we've got people who are here in the States, they're hearing reports of of people coming to faith in Jesus. And each one of those, I talked about the the holiday movies where there's like an, an epiphany of sorts. How much greater is the epiphany of all, the, the, the conversion? And what is a conversion? Is it just a change in, in mindset? Or is it a change in future? Or is it a change in joy or identity? Is it a change in home and, and, uh, and family? Or is it a change in... It's a change in all of that. Our lives have been completely transformed because of the good news of Jesus Christ. And people were used in the process of that delivery of that good news to us. And praise God that He has given us the role to be able to deliver it to other people. I used to work for Starbucks. I had a side job there for many years. And one thing that Starbucks talked about, should I mention Starbucks, just say like a, a coffee shop, all right, um, is the last, I think they call it the last five feet, something like that. But you have this idea, I think I mentioned it one other time, you have this idea that there's a farmer somewhere in the world, say Latin America somewhere, who has been tending these coffee bushes for years. We call them coffee trees. They're not huge things. He's been tending these for years and to get this crop and making sure that they're protected um, from, you know, that they need to be protected from. And he's been watching, make sure they're watered, all that. And then they pick these cherries. And then the team of Agri- the, the farming team, they take these and perhaps they, they, they dry them, wash them off, slough the cherry off of the bean, and then the bean goes into this fermenting bath. And that has to be done just right. Not too long, not too short. And then they're dried, and they're packed and tended, and then they're sent to a roasting facility. And if you want to, you could burn and coffee. You could under-roast it. It's got to be done just right. And it's done just right with great care and great tendency. And then it's delivered and vacuum sealed to protect it from heat, protect it from light, protect it from moisture. And then it has to be ground in a grinder that's calibrated to make sure that it's ground to the right proportion. And you have this huge like reverse osmosis water filtration system in the back to make sure that the water is pure and things are calibrated to make sure the temperature is right. And all of that has come together to make sure that this coffee is going to taste great. And we have the role of taking it, make sure you don't mess it up, and give it to the person. The last five feet. Jesus has done it all. Okay, Jesus has done it all. He is the perfect God of steadfast love who in the fullness of time, after all of the preparation throughout the pages of Scripture, the display, everything that prepared, He was born for us to a virgin, a miracle of God, 
And He lived a perfect life and He died the death. He's done it all. We don't have any of the credit, but we get to deliver. We get that last, like, let me tell you about Jesus. It's in our words, and hopefully it's in our lives to display the grace of God. Let us be people who personally are thinking about the clarity of Christmas this year. And let us be a church. God, use our church to convey that and deliver that to more people. Let's pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, we ask You, God, to to use us. Help us to just think about Your goodness and be full of praise and thanks to You this season. And Lord, use us to tell other people the good news. Use our giving. Use who we are. Use our words for Your glory and Your name for all time. We thank You for the glorious future in front of us because of Your glorious character. In Jesus' name, Amen.